Well, here we go. Welcome into the first episode, the inaugural episode of Backlash. I am your host, Mitchell Smedley. We have sort of a an hour-long anger management session here, scheduled to talk all things Philly sports. Thank you for joining me. Of course, you're listening to the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Boy, is there a lot of anger to go around right about now. We're obviously going to concentrate on those Philadelphia Eagles who have entered a three-game skid. They dropped their Monday night football game 20-17 to against the Seattle Seahawks who were fighting for their playoff lives. We'll get into all that. We're also going to talk some Phillies. And uh, I'll try and end on a positive note each week. We'll do that as well with another one of our squads in town here. Predominantly an Eagles show to start off. That's what's, I mean, it's it's all over. I can't stop thinking about it. Recording this as of Wednesday night, but you'll hear it 10 a.m. Thursday, as you will hear every episode of Backlash here over the winter break. And as uh, the spring semester gets underway, we'll have some more discussions, uh, figure out the scheduling as time progresses. But for now, you can hear me same time, same place, 10 a.m. Thursday mornings. Uh, you can hear me on 1670 a.m. if you're on campus, uh, on an app like my my tuner, I think, uh, Radio Garden, uh, TuneIn Radio. Uh, you know the drill. Uh, you can hear that anywhere on the planet. Um, and, of course, we have some other methods of listening, uh, dialing in. We also have some telecom channels. But wherever you may be and however you may be listening, thank you for joining me this morning. Happy to have you along for the ride. Uh, not happy with the Philadelphia Eagles performance. They dropped, oh man, they dropped a 10 and four. And I am very concerned about this football team. I was very concerned after the Dallas loss. And that's only exemplified by what we watched on Monday Night Football. Just a gross, gross performance. Let's uh, take you back through the game a little bit if you've flushed it from your memory. I'm sorry to put you through this again. Uh, but the offense began by going right down the field. They put a touchdown on the board early. And then they would hold Seattle off the off the score sheet for much of the game. They were leading 10-0 at one point. Uh, Seattle came back and uh, took the 13-10 lead. Uh, but Philly would respond. Jalen Hurts, his second rushing touchdown of the game. And the Phillies were up in this game 17-13 with the football uh, with about four minutes to go. And they had a first and 10 uh, after picking up a couple first downs. And, I mean, the man beloved, right? The son of God, apparently, Jalen Hurts, decided he was almighty. And he launched it deep to the end zone looking for not A.J. Brown, not Devontae Smith, not even Dallas Goddard. Uh, he was looking for Quez Watkins at a key point in the game. And it was intercepted in the end zone. To make a long story short, that would be the first of two picks he threw in the waning minutes of that football game. The last one coming uh, on the second to last snap of the football game with about 10 seconds to go. He uh, was picked off throwing for A.J. Brown. Again, in double coverage. It's what he's uh, loved to do in weeks of recent. And I am not happy about it. Uh, we'll get to him. But first, got to finish off the recap. Eagles gave the ball back to the Seahawks. They had a minute and 42 seconds starting at their own eight-yard line. And with a backup quarterback, Drew Locke, uh, he put on the best drive of his NFL career. 
going 92 yards, culminating in the score, uh, the touchdown pass of 29 yards to Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, and something like this just can't happen. This football game cannot happen. Not to a team with 10 wins. Uh, not to a team fighting for the number one, maybe, seed if uh, San Fran had somehow lost, uh, which they have a tough game coming up against the Ravens. And now you've really solidified that you're not getting that number one seed, that it will be San Francisco edging you out for that. And now you're fighting for your division lives. Uh, you're fighting for that divisional championship and not having to uh, be a visitor in the wild card round. Now, the good news if you do fall to that number five seed, is uh, the NFC South is incompetent. And I firmly believe the Eagles, um, well, would have a fighting chance against whoever they faced from that division, whoever would be the four seed. Uh, am I confident they can beat anyone in this in this league? Uh, anyone in this conference? No, I'm not, because they've lost three straight games. Uh, you heard me obliterating the 49ers uh, for doing just that early in the season. Now, I'd say that the Eagles have lost three straight uh, to more uh, stiff competition in the Niners, Cowboys, and Seahawks, three right now playoff teams, um, than I would the, what was it, the Bengals, Vikings, and Browns, uh, which, you know, also playoff teams or right there for the playoffs in the AFC, in the case of the Bengals. And did the Niners lose too? This is, uh, this is just inexcusable, though. This late in the season against, you know, opponents that... You can beat. You showed you can beat Dallas. Uh, Seattle is beatable. Dallas just did it. Uh, they have seven losses on the season. This is not a world-beater Seattle Seahawks team. And I'm going to start off by saying the defense did its job. You allowed 20 points. I get it to a backup quarterback, but that offense has some weapons. Uh, you have a great receiver room over there. Uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith and Jigba obviously showed you what he can do. I mean, it's so rare to even watch him go deep. They never send him deep. And, and the one time it happened, it had, had to be at the most crucial point in an Eagles loss. But you also have great running backs, uh, Charbonnet, and uh, the lead back is uh, Kenneth Walker. You have some offensive pieces around Drew Locke, and he actually knew he was going to be the starter this week, uh, I believe, uh, less chaos than last week. No Geno Smith in this game, and, and Drew Locke was able to do what needed to be done, an offense that looked stagnant most of the game. And there was a lot of focus coming into the defense uh, with Matt Patricia calling plays this time around. It had to be better. And I'd say it was better. Back-to-back -back weeks, the Eagles allowed 30 points to Dallas and the 49ers in losses. They allowed 30-plus points to the Bills, uh, even though they won that game. This has not been a great defense. They allowed 30 points twice to the Washington Commanders, or I think it was 31 and 27, something along those lines. 30 adjacent points to the Commanders twice, and the Commanders are not a good football team. And so the question had to be asked, was 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 it Sean Desai's fault? And I, it looks like a large portion of it was. Now, that's an asterisk, and, and we sports analysts, we're going to dive into what we can after just one week. This is not enough information to go off of to make a clear distinction about that that situation. So for those unaware, the Eagles moved Sean Desai, their defensive coordinator, up to the coach's box, off of the sidelines, and instead had uh, Matt Patricia, formerly with New England, formerly with Detroit. They had him calling plays uh, for the defense this week because the Eagles' defense has been awful. Uh, hasn't been able to stop a, a runny nose in the last couple weeks. 
for most of this game, it looked like a great decision. I mean, inside the two-minute warning, they'd allowed 13 points. That's, that's going to win you a lot of games in this league. And they just so happened to give up a 92-yard drive to a backup quarterback and friends. And that can't be overlooked. That doesn't happen to very good football teams. That doesn't happen to, to Super Bowl hopeful teams as this team has claimed to be and as many thought this team would be. Uh, but instead, it's just all fallen off the rails for the Eagles within the last uh, within the last month or so, playing close games and getting wins. I mean, remember, they had to come back in both those Buffalo and Kansas City games from down 10 points and uh, you know now losing three in a row. So over a month, it's been very stressful Eagles football to watch. And I'm not happy about it. I got to move into, I got to move off the defense. I'll come back to the defense for one sec. Because uh, the other storyline heading into this game was Jalen Hurts. He was not feeling 100%, had an illness, so all this. And, uh, well, he got two more rushing touchdowns, which is only going to perpetuate my hatred uh, for the Jalen Hurts truthers who bring up the amount of touchdowns he has, the amount of rushing scores he has, uh, talking about how, how dual threat he is. And, and I can't listen to it anymore because he threw equally as many interceptions as he had rushing touchdowns in this football game, it was two. And it just so happens that the interceptions came at far more impactful times than the scores did. Uh, the opening drive score and the later one. I mean, those scores, they were short yardage as well. It's not like the Eagles don't have other weapons that they can that they can hand the ball to and, and get Jalen Hurts into the end zone on. Uh, the tush-push accounts for a lot of his, his conversion attempts, the short yardage. Um, you know, I, I'm not impressed with Jalen Hurts rushing the football as I was in the first couple years of, of Jalen Hurts. And I'm most certainly not impressed anymore with his ability to throw the football. Overthrowing guys by uh, 10 yards. Uh, underthrowing guys. I mean, the two interceptions speak for themselves. The decision-making in the passing game is not there. Jalen Hurts is an awful, awful pocket passer. He does not have the arm talent of someone like Mahomes, of someone like Allen, of someone like uh, Lamar Jackson even, I would say, has better arm talent than, uh, than Jalen Hurts. It's really, it's really frustrating to have to listen to all of these people, all of these people who watch the games every single week, just like I do, and love the Eagles maybe as much as I do. Hard to do. Uh, and continue to tell me that what I'm watching is not actually happening, that, that they're trying to tell me that Jalen Hurts is a good passer. I understand he took a step forward last year. This is not last year. I mean, we'll get into a million reasons why this year isn't last year with this team coming up in a little bit. This, this quarterback is not very good. And congratulations, supporters of the Philadelphia Eagles. All those, all those jerseys you buy, all that other merchandise, all those ticket sales uh, that you contribute to, all of it uh, contributed to $250 million for this quarterback who right now looks absolutely lost, uh, can't keep the ball out of opponents' hands, he didn't fumble this game. That's fantastic. He made up for it with the two late picks. Um, who, who can't read a defense, who just, oh, my goodness, the decision-making frustrates me to no end. He doesn't check the ball down. He doesn't find wide-open receivers over the middle of the field. I feel like all night they were showing replays, and when he would throw it down the field and have it incomplete or intercepted, there was a check down that could have gotten you know seven yards right, out the, right off the bat, and there was no one within 10 yards of that player whether it be Devontae Smith, I feel like it was most of the time. It was Goddard some other times. Uh, and he just never looked for him, never checked it down, and uh, never got the offense moving 
in the correct direction. It was so frustrating all night to be able to just sit there and, and look at my television screen and, and see the guys running wide open, but Jalen has to be looking for that bigger play, and he's got to be the man. Uh, I'm tired of people saying that Jalen Hurts doesn't have an ego. Jalen Hurts obviously has an ego. Uh, I don't buy the way he talks. I don't buy the the platitudes. It just sounds like scripted, uh, unenthused. I, I don't hear passion in his voice, uh, and I, I, I most certainly – don't trust him on the football field uh, making decisions. For my football team, Jalen Hurts has regressed, and there's no way around that this year. He's got so many more turnovers than he did last year. Uh, his touchdowns, I, I've gone through this before on, on heavy hitters. I've argued with people around me. Uh, the, the touchdown numbers, him being one of the league leaders, is so inflated. Uh, it is just a, a buffoon way of thinking, a buffoon's way of thinking, Um for a while when he led the league in touchdowns, to use that as a stat in his favor. I mean, so many of his touchdowns are effortless. Uh, they're tush-push. I understand the rest of the league can't execute that. In a normal offense, quarterbacks are handing the ball to their running back uh, or maybe even passing it. The, the new NFL is so weird. But uh, these these touchdown numbers are inflated. If you watch the games, you know he can't hit a, a receiver accurately. I mean, even when guys are making catches, they're having to come back to footballs that were underthrown. They're diving to make catches. Uh, he's not allowing them to get space, uh, even on the screen passes out on the edge. He's not allowing his players to get space, and it's all very frustrating. Uh, watching this offense struggle so often and, and so vigorously at times, they, they cannot move the football throughout large chunks of football games. Uh, I mean, Jalen Hurts was outscored by Jalen Carter against Dallas. That's not the Jalen you want contributing most of your points. So I, I don't think there's any excuse for Jalen Hurts anymore. I get that he was sick. Uh, I don't quite, I don't really uh, chalk that up to being a, a large contributing factor. Uh, I think even if he was at 75%, which is the number I've heard floated around from people, uh, that still didn't look like 75% of a good quarterback. Uh, it still leaves a ton to be desired. So that's my bit on Jalen Hurts. Um, I could talk about him all day, and I'm sure I will come back to it. Uh, I, am, I am so frustrated. I am so tired of it, but we got to move on here. Let's transition to this. Uh, let's talk about lessons we could take away from Monday night's disaster, which, by the way, I mean, how did it make you feel? Uh, I just sat and stared at my TV. I gave it about a minute. Uh, just staring. I, I watched uh, Drew Locke's interview, which, by the way, uh, very well-spoken. Very well-spoken. I've never liked a opposing quarterback's interview more than I like Drew Locke. I have to listen to Patrick Mahomes talk so many times, and I just can't stand the way Patrick Mahomes talks. But I actually really enjoyed hearing Drew Locke. Total credit to that guy. I mean, he battled. But what can we take away from the Eagles side of things here? Well, I know I said I was going to move off him, but let's go to Jalen Hurts first. And uh, the turnovers. The turnovers are killing this football team. They are sinking the Eagles completely. Uh, Jalen Hurts this year has, the, the stats I'm looking at say, 12 interceptions and 8 fumbles to this point. 12 interceptions and 8 fumbles. That might be a week behind. i got to check how often this updates. Uh, call it 12, though. Call it 12. Don't call it 14. Call it 12 and 8 fumbles. That means he has a total of 31 touch. I'm sorry, not 31, 33 touchdowns because uh, he added two this week. 33 touchdowns, 
and 20 turnovers. 33 to 20. That's not a very good ratio for quarterbacks. For context, uh, Nick Foles in the 2017, not 2017, I'm sorry, in the 2013 season, Nick Foles, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, I don't have fumbles data on Nick Foles, but even still, I mean, it was minimal. Foles didn't fumble that often. Call it three or four. Uh, I mean, that's a huge difference. That's why the Eagles, with a lesser roster in 2013, far lesser, a decade ago, were able to get to the playoffs and played very well in that playoff game, by the way, because Nick Foles was a leader, because Nick Foles took care of the football, and that's the type of guy that they brought back and won them a Super Bowl because he took care of the football. I don't I don't believe Foles uh, turned it over in the NFC Championship game, and the only interception he had in the Super Bowl bounced right off of Alshon Jeffrey's hands and it was on a fourth down play, throwing deep down the field. You know, it was equivalent to a punt at that point. So Foles took care of the ball. Take it over to even a guy like Carson Wentz, uh, who people have started calling Jalen Hurts Jalen Wentz because it's it's so mirroring Carson's career here. And Carson at his peak in 2017, and, and there were, you know, problems with Carson Wentz, sure. But the type of player that got the Eagles within position to grab that number one seed and make that run to the Super Bowl. He had 33 touchdowns, all of which were passing, by the way. Uh, so he didn't have these cheesy, inflated touchdown numbers. He has just as many as Jalen Hurts has now. Hurts is going to have an extra game than Carson. Uh, so really, the next two games will compare the the full season. Well, not even, because Carson Wentz uh, didn't even play. The last, uh, let's see, Cowboys, Raiders, Giants, and part of the Rams game. So call it three games. So really, Carson Wentz had more total touchdowns, didn't even have the rushing BS touchdowns. And uh, here we are. He also had seven interceptions and nine fumbles, okay? So he had one more fumble than Jalen Hurts has now. He has about half of the interceptions. He has one more than half of Jalen Hurts' interceptions. And that's what allowed that team to, well, Carson got hurt in the Rams game, but they won the Rams game. And after that game, they were 11-2. and two. This team is 10-4, and four, right? Both teams were very talented, but it shows you that the quarterback does have an impact. If Jalen Hurts plays better in the Jets game, they win that game. If Jalen Hurts plays better in the Seattle game, they win that game. I think they got outclassed in the Cowboys and the Niners games, right? But if Jalen wins those two games, you're giving the equivalent record of of 12 and 2, or not 12, yeah, 12 and 2, that the Eagles would eventually get to by beating the New York football giants, which they're going to have to do this year as well, uh, twice in the last three weeks of this season, by the way. So what, what am I trying to say with this? What I'm trying to say is that the turnovers are absolutely killing this football team. They are what's holding Jalen Hurts back, one of the many, well, many, one of the many reasons. But what's not allowing this offense to overcome his shortcomings and his decision-making like it allowed the 2017 Eagles to overcome Carson Wentz's poor decision-making at times. Um, and that team, if you remember, just rolled over people. They would get ahead. And they would keep the foot on the gas. I mean, they won games. They put up 50 on the on the Denver Broncos. They, they put up a million points that year. 
They blew out the Niners. They they blew out everybody. Washington, uh, the list goes on. What a fun season that was. And part of that was that their quarterback was not turning it over uh, as much as Jalen Hurts is right now. I get it. The total number, you want to look at total numbers right now? Sure, it's, it's 20 to 16. Wentz is in the lead by four with comparable seasons to this point. But you look at touchdowns, Wentz had, you know, the same amount of total touchdowns, which I find it very odd that he never rushed for a score. Uh, but I guess that's just what it is. And uh, Jalen is sitting here, and, and so many of his touchdowns are rushing touchdowns. And so many of those rushing touchdowns are very, very meaningless. They're not like the Bills game winner where, you know, Hertz had to scramble for 10 yards up the middle of the field. No, these are, these are one to two yard brotherly shoves, minimal talent involved for Jalen Hurts. So the turnovers, the turnovers to touchdown ratio is not in the Eagles' favor this year. And that does show up in wins and losses. But I think another lesson you have to take from this is, is play calling is an issue, I think, exclusively on the offensive side of the football. Let me clarify what I'm stating here. I think that the offensive play calling uh, the combination of Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni are awful. I think they are atrocious. And I think there should be more over-the-middle passes on these slant routes, especially these stick routes, uh, the little stop-and-goes for A.J. Brown in particular. But I'd also like to see Devontae Smith in space against defenders because the Eagles have three great playmakers. I, I forgot to throw Dallas Goddard into that. I, I'd love to see these guys catching balls over the middle making defenders miss, you can get some house calls. If you'll remember, even with Gardner Minshew in at quarterback last year against the New Orleans Saints, the only touchdown that the Eagles scored uh, was on a, a deep ball to A.J. Brown, where he was then able to outrun defenders, got around some people, scored an 83-yard touchdown. These guys have home run potential. A.J. Brown does. Devontae Smith does. Dallas Goddard even does. Uh, and another guy I'll throw in there, DeAndre Swift, has home run potential. If you can get the ball in those little dump-offs to him over the middle. Now, I know I've said twice, right? I guess I said it once. I didn't claim the second time uh, that I was going to stay off of Jalen Hurts for a little while, but this comes back to the decision-making part of things. Jalen Hurts is about as good at decision-making as I, a blind guy, am at seeing things. Uh, me and Jalen Hurts can see a football field and, and see a defense about equally as well, it seems. Because this guy is awful at reading defenses. Uh, he doesn't get the ball out quick if he were to see a blitz coming. He, he doesn't see the blitz coming. He doesn't get the ball out quick. Uh, he doesn't see open receivers over the middle of a football field that could get him not only first downs, uh, but extra yardage, even touchdowns. Um, one time that he actually did see the field, and I go back to this because it shows that, sure, the talent might be there, is the Alameda Zacchaeus catch in the Buffalo Bills game. Touchdown where Hurts evaded pressure and then directed traffic while scrambling and then threw a dime. And that play made me go, oh my goodness, maybe there is something here. And I took a brief pause on my Jalen Hurts hate. The research is in, the data is in, and this year at least, that is the isolated incident. That is the outlier in this much vaster sea of plays that just make you scratch your head. He's throwing into double coverage deep down the field 
when there's no need to. It's first and 10 with four minutes to go in the game with a four-point lead. There was no reason to throw it to Zacchaeus. He never looks for the check down. Uh, multiple, multiple, multiple drives on Monday night's game ended because the Eagles had a third down and a ball was thrown down the field trying to gain a bunch of yardage when there was someone sitting in the middle of the defense that would have had the necessary yardage for the first down. Hertz either didn't see it or didn't want it because it isn't flashy. Again, neither option is good, and neither option is worth $250 million. Maybe he's trying to live up to that $250 million price tag. Uh, maybe he's trying to be Superman because he feels like he got a lot of money, and now it's time to make it worth it. Well, Jalen, I mean, it's not worth $50 million at this point. It's really becoming a problem. It's dragging the team down. It's, it's stunting the offense completely. You have one of the best offensive lines in football, which has looked a little spotty at times this year compared to other seasons. But even a downturn for this offensive line is equal to some other really good offensive lines in the National Football League. Jalen Hurts has had ample time, I've thought, especially if he started looking for underneath passes. He would have more than enough time to complete those passes. I'm thinking passes over the middle to, to Swift coming out of the backfield, right? Getting these guys moving, getting them in stride, uh, getting A.J. Brown on the slant has been working basically every time I've seen them attempt it. And it's been there many other times when Jalen hasn't attempted it. It would have been there. A.J. Brown was wide open over the middle of that field all night, and it seems like all season long, but Jalen hasn't gone to him. That's a big problem. So the lessons we can take, uh, don't be risky with the football. Hold on to the football. Uh, luckily, he didn't fumble this game. Uh, didn't take too many big hits that would have caused something like that. Uh, but also, Jalen Hurts, you know, the check down is a great option to extend the drive. And there also has to be situational awareness. And this goes to coaching, right? Is uh, why are you dialing up a deep shot, right? DeAndre Swift slid down when he had a chance for a house call because he knew that possession was more important than points at that time in the football game. So if you're running back, who you gave up a fourth-round pick for during this year's draft, understands that possession is much more important and got down inbounds, uh, kept the clock running, kept possession in the hands of the Eagles, even if it would have scored them seven more points. If he understands that, why can't your second-round draft pick, who you just gave $250 million to for the next five years to run this football team, that you want to bring a Lombardi trophy home with, why can't he understand that? And I, A, it's a lapse in the player's judgment. And B, it's a lapse in the coaching that they would even dial up Zacchaeus to go that far down the field, to be trying to get into the end zone at that moment. That should have been a handoff. Or if you really want to pass it, uh, if you want to try and catch the defense by surprise, a, a short over-the-middle pass, which I've been yelling and complaining for for the last weeks on end. That was the time for it if you if you wanted to throw the ball, which I didn't even want you to throw the ball uh, because there's no need to throw the football at that time. It makes no sense. It makes zero sense. So the lesson for Sirianni is you have to go back to your basics of, of fundamentals and, and football awareness. Uh, I mean, football awareness was just not at a premium in this game. Uh, both teams punted inside of the two-minute warning. Uh, in the first half, the Eagles obviously let up a 
92-yard drive to a backup quarterback. Just all over the place. Uh, there was just the fundamentals seem to be uh, escaping both teams. Really, you look at the uh, the final drive by the Seahawks, the first drive by the Eagles. I mean, that's 14 of the total 37 points. So there were a grand total of 23 points scored in the in the middle. Oh, I don't know. What's uh, seven and a half plus like one and a half? That's nine. In the middle 51 minutes of that football game, there were a total of 23 points scored against defenses that are not particularly stud-worthy. I mean, that's the next lesson I'll transition into. That's a nice transition, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. The Eagles' defense is not good, and I understand that Darius Slay wasn't out there. The, uh, the Eagles actually let up less points in this game, albeit to a less powerful offense and, and a backup quarterback. Uh, they let up less points in this game than either of the previous uh, four, and that's all that memory is serving. I believe, didn't we play Washington before that, and they gave up uh, around 30 in that game? And then you have to go back to the Dolphins where they allowed – oh, no, I'm sorry, the Chiefs. They only allowed 17 to the Chiefs. They should have allowed more. But uh, MVS is just one of the worst late-minute receivers you can have on your football team. It just so happens the Chiefs have two of those in Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Kadarius Tony. So I forgot. Pardon me. Uh, this is the least amount of points the Eagles have allowed since the Chiefs game. And, uh, man, it, it does not look like a good defense right now. Jalen Carter, when he's on the field, is a game wrecker. Jalen Carter has lived up to the hype. And uh, Nolan Smith has basically been invisible. Uh, I don't think Nolan Smith's done much of anything this season. Your secondary is trash without Maddox. I mean, I don't think people in this city appreciated how good Avante Maddox is uh, and, and has helped this football team. He's really been a key piece of the secondary, and uh, you're seeing his absence. You're seeing that the Eagles having to slide pieces around. They had to go out and get Byard, who's been, uh, okay, fine. Uh, Shaq Leonard hasn't really been a contributor yet. Uh, James Bradbury does not have it anymore. I mean, thanks for thanks for playing, dude. Thanks for coming back. I'm so glad we chose, you know, your experience over some of these youth that we could have gone after. Maybe CJ GJ could be back in the uh, in the Eagles uniform. I understand he's hurt for the season, but he was developing into a great young player. Uh, I mean, who do I have to be excited about in the secondary? Uh, Reed Blankenship doesn't really get my doesn't really grind my gears in a good sort of way. Uh, not excited about the Eagles secondary. On top of that, Darius Slay and Matt Patricia, they have some bad blood going back to Detroit. Maybe maybe Matt Patricia was right. Was Matt Patricia right that Darius Slay is not a top corner? Um, that remains to be seen. Slay hasn't been great this season. Bradbury's been atrocious since the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, there's, there's lessons to be learned in the, defensive, uh, in the defensive scheme, in the defensive personnel especially. Brings me to my next main point, and I'm not the first person to say this this season. The Eagles just don't have the guys this year. They really do not have the guys. And I'll, I'll transition this into my lesson for the front office. But you have to look at what the strategy was for the front office, re-signing Bradbury, re-signing Slay, re-signing Kelsey, re-signing Cox. All of these guys who are up there in age. And you're seeing performance dips in all of them, especially the skill players. 
right? Especially in Bradbury, especially in Slay, you are seeing immense, immense, immense talent drop off. And if the secondary is not addressed in the draft, in, in prime picks in this year's draft for the Eagles, it would be a massive, massive crime against this city and against these fans. The defensive line was addressed this season. Jalen Carter, hopefully Nolan Smith develops. Jordan Davis, by the way, seems to be developing nicely this year. That's good to see. His sophomore season uh, was very nervous that that would be a bust. But Jordan Davis has improved uh, most definitely this season. So that's good to see that they that they can still land good picks on the defensive line. But those have been your last three first-round picks. So... Now your first round pick has to has to shift. You've invested in that. You have to let that grow and you have to let it do its thing on the defensive line. Now you need to invest in this gaping hole that the secondary has become. The problem is you also have a gaping hole at linebacker. I've spoke about this at length on this station. The Eagles don't have that linebacker that can get up and cover Kelsey or Kittle or even a guy like Mark Andrews, on these short routes that have picked the Eagles apart forever. We watched it with George Kittle. We watched it in that San Francisco game. You need the linebackers to be able to make plays on the short passing game. And the Eagles don't have that. They also don't have the the corners to play with these top receivers, to play with even these not top receivers. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was wide open on the game-winning touchdown pass. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch a watch a front office prioritize experience over youth when aging a year in football is not like aging a year in other sports. It's, it's a faster aging process. The fall-off is, in, is incredible, especially with these younger, faster guys coming into the league. Teams are prioritizing speed like never before. And these young, agile receivers are no match uh, against these against these slow, deteriorating Eagles corners. Now, I know Slay wasn't out there. Um, not impressed with Josh Job. He's been a disaster. Uh, I actually haven't been that mad at Sidney Brown. He's not great, but he was advertised as a guy that's going to give up huge plays left and right, uh, and you know counteract that with making some incredible plays. I thought he's been fairly average so far. Not too much hate in my heart for Sidney Brown yet. We'll see if that continues. A.J. Brown, uh, not A.J. Brown. That's the total wrong player. Uh, James Bradbury. I don't know why I thought A.J. Brown was a corner. A.J. Brown's been a stud. Uh, hasn't gotten as much volume recently. I think that's the fault of Jalen Hurts. Uh, not Sidney Brown. James Bradbury has been the utter atrocity at the back end of that Eagles defense. So what does this say for, for an Eagles front office? The lesson here is, you know, I'm all about being constructive. I'm not just here to to yell and, and complain. I know that's what the title of the show would imply. Yeah, I'm here to give you, you some backlash. I'm here to give you the truth about what I think has happened so far, but I'm also here to try and provide solutions because I don't want to just be that guy that's angry all the time. I have thoughts, some of them lucid, that I think would help the football team. And my first one is that you need to prioritize youth in the, in the Eagles secondary. You need to... Um, whether that's be free agency, whether that be making another Howie trade. Uh, but I would just go ahead and, and use top draft capital to draft a talented corner 
uh, talented, maybe even a safety, but pri- prioritized corner linebacker. It's time that this team invests in linebacker. Uh, but the other problem you're going to have to manage is that you're going to have some some holes on your offensive line. I mean, how scared were we all when Lane Johnson was uh, laying down on the field? Thankfully, he came back in. Jason Kelsey, probably his last season. Um, it's just that there are there are some holes developing on this offensive line. Hopefully, a guy like Jerkins uh, can slide over, replace Kelsey. But you're going to have holes to fill there as well. I don't think it's as pressing of a need as the secondary. I think a lot of the offensive line issues can be solved by the uh, the quarterback. They're actually throwing the ball in a timely fashion. I think that would do this team some wonders. So I think those are the lessons you have to take away from this game and this losing stretch as a whole. The quarterback doesn't have it. Okay, He, he is putting on a Wentz-esque career. He had an okay season. Then he bursts onto the scene with an incredible sophomore season. The bar is raised, coming off a Super Bowl appearance. By the way, Jalen Hurts lost you your Super Bowl. Fumbled, got the Chiefs back in the game with an immediate touchdown. Eagles had a chance to really stomp on the throat. I mean, if they scored on that drive, up by, I believe it was 10 at the time, I mean, that game could start to get out of hand if you start making the Chiefs one-dimensional. It's the Chiefs, though. I'm revisiting old wounds. It is what it is. the quarterback doesn't have it. He's putting on the Carson Wentz show. And I've seen this. And the difference here is uh, the Eagles gave him $250 million, which is just utterly fantastic. And and it's not like they had the backup to come in and show them what a real quarterback looked like in Nick Foles uh, this time around. They didn't have that. Gardner Minshew was atrocious. And Marcus Mariota is even worse. Which, by the way, by the way. Gardner Minshew and Shane Steichen down in Indianapolis. What a job they are putting! What a job they're putting on! I have to admit, I mean, now seeing the shortcomings of last year's offense, it looks like that was attributable to Jalen Hurts rather than Shane Steichen because he's, I mean, reinvented the Colts. Congratulations to uh, congratulations to Shane. And it also appears that Jonathan Gannon has something going on in Arizona. I'm not quick to jump on the bandwagon there. But a lot of people, a lot of other people are giving him his flowers. So maybe there's something to it. He might be one of those guys that's just a better head coach uh, than he was a defensive coordinator. I still can't stand Jonathan Gannon. I am willing to admit I was wrong on Shane Steichen. Didn't like Shane Steichen here in Philadelphia. Wish I had him back. I'd even take Frank Wright back uh, after his firing from Carolina, which, by the way, by the way, isn't that just the most Carolina way to win on Sunday there? Don't score a touchdown. You win it on a on a final second walk-off field goal, and there's 20 people there to witness it. Congratulations to the Panthers. They got their second win of the season, and wow, that one has to hurt for Falcons fans. You score seven points against the worst team in the league. Losing on a last-second field goal, I mean, scoring seven almost beat the Panthers. And they still couldn't get it done. Falcons. Oh, that is a rough way to go out. Looks like, in my opinion, Tampa Bay is the best team in that division and will win it. And that could probably uh, that could set up another Eagles-Bucks matchup in the first round of the playoffs in the wild card round. We know how that went last time, dominated by uh, Tom Brady. But not even sure where I left off, where I jumped off that uh, that crazy train. But the lessons are. Uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't have it. 
turnovers are the biggest problem. The decision-making is another problem. The uh, the arm talent, by the way, is just awful. He's overthrowing, underthrowing. Just doesn't have the arm talent that we thought he had last year. I don't know if that's part of the shoulder injury. I don't know if there's something else going on with him, but the talent isn't there right now. The ability just is not there. And there's large-scale coaching issues within this organization. Sirianni does not have it. Brian Johnson and Sean Desai are even worse than I thought Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon are. And the front office got too lackadaisical. The front office decided to run it back for the most part with this team. And that is clearly, clearly the wrong decision now. As we are all seeing, I'm going to use that as a launching point here. Uh, Before I do, I just want to thank you so much once again for tuning in. I'm your host, Mitchell Smedley, on this inaugural episode of Backlash. We are uh, reacting to all things Philly sports. We've spent all the time up to this point talking Eagles, go Birds, uh, coming off their three-game losing streak. They'll have the, uh, the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Giants coming up. Which, by the way, before I segue into my next point, I mean, are we all nervous on Christmas now? Might have to watch another Eagles loss to the Giants? Uh, that would uh, that would just ruin ruin my holiday. I know it would make the make the table at the Heim household very happy. Jack Heim, obviously a Giants fan. We do heavy hitters. Uh, we're still working out how that's going to go over the break, but uh, definitely stay tuned once the semester picks back up. Heavy hitters will be a hundred percent back on the air. I mean, just a terrible thought going forward if the Eagles were to lose one of these remaining games. But I've talked enough Eagles. And I think a similar problem that has plagued the Eagles front office that we just talked about, I think it's also happening in the Phillies front office. The Philadelphia Phillies, I think, are about to make a huge mistake. And I think it's going to cost them all of the momentum they've gained in these last two amazing seasons. And I'm interested to know what you think. So let's get into it here. So the Phillies this week before Christmas have given us just about zero to unwrap. They've put nothing under our baseball Christmas trees. They have re-signed Aaron Nola. Yay! The player that caused me the second biggest headache on the team this season is now a Philly for seven more years. Awesome. It's like my own personal hell. Fantastic. Love that journey. But other than that, the Phillies have not made a move yet, and it's been frustrating, and I think it's quite idiotic because I just talked about how running it back doesn't get it done. If you didn't have the horses the last two years, what makes you think you'll have the horses this year? I mean, your your core is aging, right? JT Remuto is showing real signs of decline, okay? He goes into long skids, and uh, he's just not the same guy that he was a year before. And I think that's going to continue. You don't see a fall-off faster in the MLB than with catchers. JT was the top catcher in the game. It's only down from there. So I'm worried about JT Romuto. I'm worried about aging guys. Uh, will I ever really be worried about Kyle Schwarber? Probably not. He's just the guy that hits baseballs a country mile. Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, right? These guys are not young, right? They're not a spring chicken, as my mom would say. They have some years on them. This core is 30, 31, right? I believe Nola's in that same area. I believe Wheeler's in the same area in terms of age. The core is aging. And this feels like one of the last real opportunities to go out and get a World Series for this 
for this group of guys who I have never wanted a championship more for a group of guys than this Phillies team, this core of the Phillies guys, the Schwarbers, the Harpers, even now the Turners, uh, Castellanos. I still, I, I don't know what to think, but, but Bohm, Stott, Marsh, like the young guys too. I just love all of these Phillies and I wish they would have gotten a ring for Reese Hoskins. It didn't happen. I'm very upset about it, but I feel like the Phillies are making that same mistake that I just talked about with the Eagles. I feel like the Phillies are making that exact same problem. So what do I suggest? Well, it's been rumored that the Eagles, not the Eagles, wow. No, that'd be a shock. The Phillies are in on Yoshida Yamamoto. That would be incredible. I mean, just think about it. Allow yourself to dream for a second. I know it's not going to happen. I understand that. But if it did, pairing him with Nola, Wheeler, Ranger, whoever you throw in is your five, I mean, that is just stupid. That's just stupid. It's not going to happen. I think it should happen because John Middleton, Dave Dombrowski, they've shown that they're guys that go out and make the big splash. John Middleton has brought us Bryce Harper. He brought us Schwarber and Castellanos the same year. He gave the big contract to JT. Now he's given the big contract to Nola, brought in Turner on an 11-year deal. He's shelled out the money. Maybe he feels that he's put his money where his mouth is and he doesn't need to anymore. I completely disagree. If it's broke, fix it, right? And obviously the Phillies, with one of the worst collapses we've seen in this town, it's broke and you need something to get you over the edge. And you need something that can make you compete with those Atlanta Braves. I understand that you've beat them two straight years in the playoffs. I'm talking series in and series out throughout the long baseball season. Why can't this team... Go compete for a division title. Why is it a foregone conclusion that the Phillies will sit in second place in the NL East, grab a wild card spot, and go on a magical run every year? I'd like to have what we had in 2017 with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Get the one seed. Play in your ballpark. You know? Be the team that's like, yeah, they're probably the favorites this year. I, I don't care if it's more boring. Nothing's boring when you're, when you're holding up a, a World Series championship banner. So I would go out, I would uh, really make a push on Yamamoto. There might be some some factors there that he is looking for playing with other Japanese players, uh, you know, certain other exterior factors other than who offers him the most money that the Phillies might be playing at a disadvantage with, and that does worry me. But if it's not Yamamoto, I, the, the Blake Snell market obviously doesn't seem to be there. I, the beginning of the offseason, conversation was, should the Phillies get Nola or Snell? Why not get both? You've got the one already. Let's go get Blake Snell. Let's add to this baseball team here. Let's add where we need it, which is pitching, right? And I would like another bat. I don't understand why Adam Duvall is not a Philadelphia Philly yet. I would love Adam Duvall. Uh, I think he matches up really well with this team. I think placing him as a, a righty that can just hit some dingers. That's what they were missing this year in Reese Hoskins. That, remember, they had a guy in Reese. They were supposed to be part of this team. So as much as I don't blame the front office for what's happened to this point, because I think if they have Reese Hoskins, this team looks totally different. I'm not watching Johan Rojas play every day, which was beyond frustrating and cannot happen this season. I, I will not stand for Johan Rojas being an everyday player, even a platoon player. I'm tired of it. He's a defensive replacement at the end of a baseball game. He is Travis Jankowski, who, by the way, now has a World Series ring. That frustrates me. The Harpoon, if you know me, you know where that story comes from. The Harpoon has a World Series ring. That's frustrating. Johan Rojas cannot be a player for this baseball team. 
on a consistent basis. I'm tired of it. He can't hit the baseball. I'm sorry. It's just what it is. You need to get another position player, another dinger-heavy bat to really set this team over the edge. Adam Duvall fits that perfectly. You could put him in the outfield, left field, and uh, your, your defense would be fine. I think Brandon Marsh in center field is not that bad of an idea. Folks, remember, he came over as the godsend center fielder to get rid of Odubel Herrera and all the rest of those problems. We had Simon Muziati playing center field. It was, a, it was a train wreck at that position. Brandon Marsh came over and I thought stabilized things pretty well. But now we just have to have the shiny new, little bit faster Johan Rojas. Give me a break. Oh my goodness, give me a break. So watching him at the plate is, is really a, a newfound form of torture. Really appreciate it, Phillies. So he has to be off of the off of the everyday lineup. The Phillies need another starting pitcher, in my opinion. Tywan Walker is not it. Christopher Sanchez is not it. It's fine if you platoon those guys as the fifth starter, maybe even five and six. That's fine. But you need another really good starting pitcher, in my opinion. Because I don't think Nola and Wheeler are going to have it like they've had it in the past. And, and even Nola has been so frustrating uh, for so long in this city. But I think another huge need for this baseball team is a star bullpen guy. I think a guy like Josh Hader would fit really well here. One of those, you know, there's there's a few of them to choose from in this offseason. I would go out and I would get one of those guys. I think Hader would work extraordinarily well for this team. But that's just me. I think some moves need to be made with this baseball team. Not just one. I need to see multiple moves. I need to see the Phillies continue to try. And uh, hopefully this is the year we can start injecting some more youth into this core, right? Guys like Nick Abel, Griff McGarry, maybe maybe they enter the bullpen as well. Because honestly, I don't think Jeff Hoffman, I don't think Hoffman is a good is a good pitcher. I don't think he has it. I think he was more of a flash in the pan sort of guy. And I think there's other weaknesses in that bullpen. You have some guys that are that are injury prone. Kirkering is interesting to me. Uh, Strom is not a world beater, obviously. And, and every bullpen needs those bridge guys, but I would like to have a bullpen of flamethrowers and just studs up and down. So maybe this is the year that that starts to happen. I'm not quite sure what's going on with the youth because obviously we've had setback after setback. We've been talking about McGarry. We've been talking about Abel coming up for years, it feels like, and obviously Painter was just about here and, and the awful injury, which, I mean, even think about that. Say the Phillies go out and they get – another pitcher. I mean, when Abel comes up next year, assuming he does, he may never pitch for this team is how injuries are unpredictable. But if he does, I mean, you have a, a rotation, assuming they re-sign Wheeler, of Wheeler, Nola, Ranger, uh, name your great pitcher that I want them to go sign, and then Andrew Painter. It's just, it's just sick. So I think there are moves to be made for this Phillies team. Let me transition into my final bit here. Uh, I got a positive note and I tried, I'm going to try and remain positive a little bit at the end of each show. The Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, what a, what a revelation this team has been. The, the young players are playing well. The old core, the old veterans uh, are still there. They're, they're providing great leadership. The coaching seems to be great from John Tortorella and the best piece is yet to come for the Flyers in Matt V. Mitchkov not coming over for another two years, this team really has the potential to, to build itself from the ground up and become a phenomenal hockey team. They're already uh, an above-average hockey team. Got another 
overtime win against the New Jersey Devils. And boy, have there been a bunch of those, I feel like, in hockey. All the score updates I watch, even not just the Flyers, seem to be overtime win, overtime win, shootout win, overtime win. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I feel like there's been a lot more overtime games this year. But credit to the Philadelphia Flyers for being incredible uh, compared to what we had hoped. And it's, it's sort of a bright spot in Philly sports when the sky is falling with the Eagles and the Phillies are just being so boring. There's nothing for me to even get excited about. The Flyers are sticking out as a, a team to watch here in Philadelphia. I believe they play the Nashville Predators tomorrow night, I guess tonight now, because this is airing 10 a.m. Thursday, as it will each week over the break. Thanks for joining me. Uh, as it will for each week. And the Flyers will play the Nashville Predators. I believe it's 7 o'clock. They lost to the Preds last week in overtime. Big shocker. That was unfortunate. They tied the game in the third period only to lose, I think, 13 seconds into overtime. Something along those lines. But uh, join me next week. I'll, I'll do a little show preview here. Oh, man. Join me next week. If the Eagles somehow lose to the New York football giants, that would just be, oh, you'll want to, you know, I tried to keep my voice measured. I tried to, I tried to stay relatively calm. This time around, that's not always going to be the case. This is the show to let out frustration. It's a show to vent. It's more of a therapy session for all of us uh, crazy, unhappy Philly sports fans. But if they lose, oh my goodness, the uh, the roof will come off of this show in week number two. And uh, if they win, I'll be here to recap it. I'll be here to to discuss what the team looks like going forward. I'm also gonna. I also want to dive into uh, some really large-scale NFL quarterback talk because I was in an interesting conversation, a couple of interesting conversations, and I want to give it another week to kind of mull over in my mind and, and just talk about some quarterback play that I've been noticing trends with in the National Football League. Hopefully the Phillies make some sort of move by then. I doubt it, but uh, I'll also be watching a bunch of Flyers hockey this upcoming week, so hopefully you can find something to get excited about, whether it is your your football team, your baseball team, your hockey team. I might even dip my my little toe into the 76ers next time around. But uh, So closing remarks, uh, Jalen Hurts is absolutely terrible. The coaching, especially Brian Johnson, uh, Nick Sirianni, Sean Desai, the rest, uh, not a big fan of at all. I mean, let's, let's get some plays over the middle, please, and let's actually blitz more often if we could. That would be fantastic. Uh, baseball, I need the Phillies to start making moves. And uh, I, I just need some rumors. I mean, there was a day I thought Jock Peterson was going to become a Philly, and I was getting excited. So I need the Phillies to really start making some moves. Flyers, I am so excited. I, I This year is obviously not the year. But uh, for the Flyers, they're an exciting young team. If you want something to be hopeful about, even if you're not winning night in and night out, turn on the Philadelphia Flyers. And more often than not, they are they are playing very good hockey as well. So. Those are my closing remarks, but thank you for joining me on this first episode of Backlash. I'm your host, Mitchell Smedley. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Thursday at 10 a.m. here on the radio voice of Kutztown University. Something tells me we're going to have a lot to unpack on that next show. So you know where to find me. You know what I'm typically pissed about. We'll talk some more Jalen Hurts, some more Eagles, the usual, next week. Thanks so much for listening.